he is out in a gospel meeting. In fact, he asked me if I would take his class for the next three weeks because uh, two of those weeks uh, he is going to be gone speaking somewhere, and he said he thought it would be a better flow if I would just teach three in a row, and I said I'd be glad to do that. So the section he said that I would be teaching is starting in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and verse number 1, this is talking about the qualifications of elders. When I made this slide, I just went online and I pulled up a picture of elders in the Lord's church. And this is an eldership from Florida. And I think some visitors today told me that that's their elders. And so that was a coincidence that that happened. So if any of you know these guys, uh, that wasn't on purpose. I just picked out some handsome, good-looking elders and threw them up there. And I didn't want to put our elders uh, because they were too handsome. And I thought it would be, it would just be distracting. And Jeff's giving me a thumbs up back there. So uh, the qualifications of elders are laid out in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And they are also laid out in Titus chapter 1. Now 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 begins this way. This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop... He desires a good work. The word bishop is a word that also means elder. They are interchangeable. The Bible uses several different words to refer to an elder. Sometimes he's called an overseer. Sometimes he's called an elder. Sometimes he's called a bishop. Sometimes he is called a pastor. All of these are the same term, a shepherd. He's sometimes called a shepherd. All of these refer to the office of an elder, but normally the difference is used to talk about different responsibilities of the elder. And so we will talk some more about that as we go. Now somebody, I'm going to do some introductory comments before we actually get into the qualifications of elders. Somebody might say, why bother to have elders? Why don't you just let the preacher run the church? You know, a lot of denominations do that. They refer to the preacher as the pastor, and he makes the decisions, and he, for all practical purposes, runs the church. And sometimes I will hear denominational preachers, and they talk about their flock. You know, this is my flock. Why? Because they view that as their church, and they are the head of this. Sometimes there are congregations of the Lord's church uh, who, for all practical purposes, they function this way where the preacher runs the church and they don't have elders, and we refer to that as evangelistic oversight. That is, the evangelist is overseeing the church. Why don't you say, why don't we just do it that way? The problem is neither one of these positions is biblical. They are not scriptural according to what we read they practiced in the New Testament. Somebody might say, well, why don't you just run the church with a men's business meeting? I know of churches of Christ that do that. They've been operating that way for years. Somebody says, we don't want elders. I mentioned to you in Wednesday night class that I knew a congregation of 600 people. That church had been in existence for at least 50 years, and they didn't have elders. And when asked about it, one of the men said, things are running great. We don't want elders coming in here messing up everything. Well, that's not scriptural. In 50 years, you could have had elders born and raised up and had families and become elders. And so why bother with elders? The answer is, it is God's desire and God's design for the church to have elders. 
Now, the Bible illustrates this in a number of different ways. Number one, the first century church had elders. And I've got several passages on the screen. Acts 11 and uh, verse 30, we learn that the church in Jerusalem had elders. Acts 20 and verse 17, we learn that the church in Ephesus had elders. Philippians 1 and verse 1, we learn that the church in Philippi had elders. So why should we have elders? The first century church had elders. Secondly, the Bible specifically says that we should have elders. Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul wrote to Titus, For this reason I left you behind in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I have commanded you. Notice that he says, in every city you are to appoint elders. God's intention and God's desire was to have elders in every city in which there was a congregation of the Lord's church. Acts 14 and verse 23 Paul said that Paul and Barnabas were to appoint elders in every city. And incidentally, that's where we are in a class on Wednesday night on the book of Acts, is Acts chapter 14. And that's why this passage actually came up. We've kind of had some overlapping here because of that. Now, somebody might say, well, Don, what if we don't have men who are qualified to be elders? And what did I just do there? What if we don't have men who are qualified to be elders? then what do you do? We've seen that God's plan is desirous. He wants uh, the church to have elders, but first there have to be men who are qualified to be elders. Listen to this, Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, when Paul tells Titus to appoint elders in every city, he goes on to say this, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, and then he lists qualifications of elders. And so what he says is, you need to have elders if there are men who meet these qualifications. So what if a congregation does not have men that meet those qualifications? Then you cannot install them as elders. And what happens is, the men of the congregation have to meet together, they function as a men's business committee, and they make decisions that way. It is certainly not the best way. If you have ever been in a congregation that doesn't have elders and you have to function in a business committee, you will know that it is difficult. My son preaches for a congregation where they don't have elders and there's challenges just inherently with that. Now, is it scriptural? Yes, because they don't have men that are qualified right now. But if you're working toward that, then you're working toward doing the ideal. Now, I'll mention this quickly because I did mention it Wednesday night. There are four different conditions that churches can find themselves in. Scripturally organized, scripturally unorganized, unscripturally organized, or unscripturally unorganized. Is that confusing enough for you? What we mean, if a church is scripturally organized, scriptural means it's according to the Bible, and organized means it is set up in an organized fashion. You've got elders that are overseeing the church. You might also have deacons if they're qualified, preachers, teachers, etc. It's an organized church and it is scriptural. You could be scripturally unorganized. That is, it's a scriptural arrangement, but it does not have the organization that the Lord's church, uh, that God ideally desires. And that's like where my son preaches. That is, they don't have an organization with elders, but it's scriptural. Why? Because they don't have qualified men right now. They are doing that which is right, 
but it does not meet the organization. Then you could have an unscriptural organization. That is, it is not according to God's Word, but it's organized. So you have some sort of a pastor system. You have women serving as elders. You've got a board of deacons running the church, something like that. It's some sort of organization, but it's not scriptural. And then you could be unscripturally unorganized. That is, it's not according to the Bible, and you don't have an organization. How could that be? You've got qualified men to be elders, but they're like, I don't want to do it. You could have members who just refuse to accept qualified men. Sometimes that happens. Or you could have a church like the one that I mentioned. They say, we don't want elders in here messing things up. Well, that's unscriptural. And they are unorganized. So that is the four arrangements. Obviously, the ideal is to be scripturally organized. All right. Here is the passage that we're studying, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Is that big enough to read? All right. I threw that up there hoping that you could read it all. Uh, 1 Timothy 1 through 7 is going to list the different qualifications of elders. We should seek to have elders. James A. Garfield was the 20th president of the United States. He served less than four months, and he was assassinated. I have been told that he was a member of the Lord's Church, and that before he became the president, he was serving as an elder. And when he was elected as president, he stepped down from the eldership, and he said this, I am resigning from the highest office in the land so that I can become the President of the United States. That's a very interesting statement. Serving as an elder in the Lord's Church is the highest position that a man can attain to in this life. Because elders don't oversee the country. Elders oversee souls of God's children. And we always need to be preparing men to be elders. You know, in the Lord's Church, I think we have a tendency that we only preach on the subject of elders and their qualifications when? When do we bring that up? Right when we're about to install elders, right? So if the preacher gets up and preaches on the qualifications of elders, everybody thinks, oh, we're about to install elders. We need to be teaching and preaching on this regularly because we always need to be thinking about this. We need to have young men thinking about preparing themselves so that they can develop these qualifications. We need to be teaching our young men about the need for elders and about preparing themselves so that they can one day be elders. We need to install in them the desire to be elders. And there's different ways that we can do that. But one way is when they're young, we need to start planting that seed in their head. That is, one day you should, want, you should be an elder in the Lord's church. Talk to them about being gospel preachers as well. But what happens sometimes is congregations are not preparing men to be elders. They are not training their young boys to want to be elders. They are not consciously working to perpetuate the eldership. And so what happens is maybe you'll have a congregation that only has two elders. And then because of poor health, one of them can no longer serve or maybe death unexpectedly takes one of them. And then the congregation finds itself without elders. And then the congregation hasn't made any special effort to train or to, to develop anyone to carry on uh, this task. And so they find themselves in a rush to try to install men. 
And what happens is they end up installing men who aren't really qualified because they say, we've got to have an eldership. We need to keep the principle and the process ever before our minds so that doesn't happen. God wants the church to have elders. We need to be making preparations to that end. And I hope studies like this will help us to be thinking about that and working toward that. The need for good elders is great. The reason that churches go astray is because they don't have sound elders. Now, you might say, no, no, it's the pulpit, it's the preacher. There's an old saying, as goes the pulpit, so goes the church. There's a lot of truth to that, but you know who puts the man in the pulpit? The elders do. And so if the pulpit is going the wrong direction and starting to teach uh, error or starting to teach nothing, the elders need to straighten that out or they need to get rid of that man because that is what the Bible teaches. And that is we need to have sound elders. Now, before we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, the qualifications of elders, I want to mention this. I want to lay out some very basic principles that are taught. This is taught in the beginning of the Bible, it's taught in the middle of the Bible, and it's taught at the end of the Bible. And that is Deuteronomy 4 and verse 2. In the beginning of the Bible, you shall not add unto the word that I command you, neither shall you subtract from it, that the commandments of the Lord which I have given you may not be diminished. Proverbs 30 and verse 6, Thou shalt not add unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. The end of the Bible. Revelation 22, 18 and 9, I testify unto you, every man that hears the words of the book of this prophecy, if any man adds unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the holy city and out of the book of life. What does that mean? You can't add to the Word of God. You can't take away from the Word of God. That was true in the beginning. It's true in the middle. It's true. That has always been the case. You can't add to God's Word. You can't take away from God's Word. What does that have to do with elders? Why are we talking about that when we talk about elders? Number one, you can't add to the qualifications of elders. Now, why would I say that? If a congregation said something like this, a man has to be at least 60 years old if he's going to serve as an elder in this congregation. Could they do that? What would be wrong with them doing that? Yeah, the, the Bible doesn't say that. You would be adding something that the Lord hasn't added. What if they said he's got to be at least 50 years old to serve as an elder? So you're starting to make up qualifications. We've got to be careful not to add qualifications that the Lord hasn't added. The Lord has decided, here are the qualifications that are necessary for a person to serve as an elder. Secondly, we can't take away from the qualifications. You know, sometimes a congregation will have a man who meets most of the qualifications. Maybe he lacks one, and they install him anyway, and they think, well, if we install him, he'll develop and he'll get to the point that... Um, he will get this qualification. Well, we can't add to, we can't be stricter than God. We can't take away. We can't be less strict than God. That would also be a wrong thing for us to do. Number three, we can't substitute qualifications. What if a congregation said, this man is a good businessman. 
in the secular world, his employees respect him and they follow him. And so everybody likes him. And so we think he's going to be a good elder for those reasons. Could you do that? Those aren't the qualifications of an elder. You can't substitute uh, qualifications for elders. Brother Glenn Colley has a book that he wrote called Awake at Night. And it's about elders. And I want to read you something that um, it, largely what he does is he takes cases that elders have dealt with, real cases that people have given to him over the years. He does a thing at Polishing the Pulpit where churches turn in problems they have and he'll change the name so that people don't know who he's talking about. And he's taken a bunch of these real issues and put them in a book called Awake at Night to help elderships know how to deal with these difficult problems. Anyway, I want to read you a quote from this book. It says, I become increasingly convinced that in selecting our elders, we cannot knowingly compromise even one of the biblical qualifications without the real potential that the church will eventually suffer the unhappy and often eternal negative consequences of that mistake. What's he saying? Glenn served as an elder, I think, for about 10 years. And so he's been there, and he's had that experience. What he's saying is, God gave these qualifications. If we ignore even one of them, the church is going to suffer for that. Why? Because God knows what he's doing. God put these qualifications in place for a reason. Now, with all of that said, let's look at the qualification. First, let's read it. 1 Timothy 3 Verses 1 through 7, this is what I've got up on the board. I don't know if I copied the same version I've got here, but this is a true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, again, that's an elder, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in, in subjection with all gravity. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he shall fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. All right, let's talk about this first one. Verse number one says, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. Another translation says, if he aspires to the office. One translation says, if he sets his heart on being an elder. Sometimes people include this as one of the qualifications of, of being an elder. They'll say the first qualification is that he has to desire the work. I don't really think of this as a qualification. I think of it as a clarification. Now, why do I say that? I think the Lord is simply telling us this. He's saying if a man wants to be an elder, that's a good thing. He's saying this is an admirable quality. He should not be a con condemned for this desire. He should be commended for this desire. Why would the Lord begin this way? I think it's because sometimes if a man expresses the desire to be an elder, some people might say, well, he just wants to be in charge. 
He's just hungry for power. Well, you know, why does he want to be an elder? And so the Lord begins and he says, if a man desires to be an elder, that's a good thing. Don't think that way about him. You know, at times men have struggled with this very point about desiring to be an elder because they've said to themselves, I don't really want to be an elder. You know, being an elder has some difficult things uh, entailed in it. And uh, I served as an elder for seven years. It was the hardest thing I have ever done. There are many things you do not want to be an elder. You've got to be patient with the elders because oftentimes you go to elders and you're railing on them about something. They have knowledge about issues they can't share. And once you get in that position, you understand it very differently. So somebody might say, I don't want to be an elder because there are difficult things involved and being that. And so they believe the fact that they, because they feel that way, they think that disqualifies them because they've heard people through the years say that desire is a qualification. I believe it is a clarification. Number two, I want you to think about Jesus when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane before the crucifixion. He didn't desire, he didn't want to go through the things that he went through. But he went through them anyway. Why? Because he loved the Father, because he loved the church, because he loved our souls. I think the same thing could be true of a man who has the potential to be an elder. He may not desire it in one sense, but because of his love for the church, he's willing to do it. But I think that some people think, I don't really want to do it because there are some hardships, therefore I'm not qualified. That is not what this passage is teaching. In fact, he says if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. See, that's when he starts the qualifications. So he says if you desire to be an, an elder, that's a good thing. All right? A bishop then must be, and he gives the qualifications. I think we need to stop teaching it as a qualification, but rather as a clarification. All right, here is the first one. He says an elder must be blameless, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2. In fact, let me see here. Yeah, I broke these down. Can you read that? Yeah, that ought to be big enough to read. An elder must be blameless. Another translation said he must be above reproach. Now, to be blameless obviously doesn't mean that he has to be sinlessly perfect. Because nobody is sinlessly perfect. If we say this man's got to be perfect, we would never have any elders because no one except Jesus Christ is perfect. In fact, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we've deceived ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Jesus would be the only one who would meet this qualification if that's the way we think of it. I think it is equally a big mistake to expect men after they become elders to all of a sudden become perfect. We think, well, they're an elder, you know, they should never mess up. They should never make mistakes. That's not true. They are still men. So what does the Bible mean when it says that they must be blameless? What do you think? What are your thoughts on this one? I don't know about 
Um, David Lipscomb said, this verse means that they are to be men whose character is unimpeachable, who stand in high estimation in uh, the public, known for their pure life and spotless integrity. These are men that have a good reputation. There's not, in fact, the word here literally means that which cannot be laid hold of. That's what binds expository dictionary. That means there's nothing that people would just latch on to and say, hey, you know, this guy, something like he's a liar. This guy's a liar. It, we know it. Everybody knows this guy is a liar. Not, well, this guy lied one time years ago, and, you know, um, he fixed it and repented. It's not that. He's got a character flaw that is not fixed and is still out there. And so a blameless man is one who has a good reputation, and he's made things right with God. You know, you can see how important it is that an elder would be blameless when you think about 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 3, because it says he's to be an example to the flock. And you're not going to be a good example to the flock if you're not a man who is blameless. <clears throat> also, when you think about the fact that <clears throat> one of the responsibilities of an elder is to restore those who have, have gone off into sin. How are you going to go restore someone and carry out the duty of an elder when you've got some sin that's just as ugly in your own life? And so if a person's got a reputation for dishonesty, foul humor, he's a womanizer, he forsakes the assembly, you fill in the blank. He's not a candidate to be an elder. And so he's blameless. All right, any other thoughts on that one? All right, let's go to the next one here. The next one, he must be the husband of one wife. Now, five short words here, the husband of one wife, that tells us a great deal about the man who is going to be an elder. All right, we're on the second qualification. Man, we're killing it today. All right, first, if he's the husband of one wife, that tells us he must be a man. We learned that about him in this phrase, only men can serve as elders or bishops because a woman cannot be the husband of one wife. I don't care what society is saying. I don't care how we have redefined the words today. It means that, in fact, the Greek word here translated as husband is in the masculine gender in the Greek. It is a word that never refers to a woman. Um, it never refers to both men and women. It is a word that refers only to the masculine gender. Now, some in the religious world, and even some in the Lord's Church, have gotten swept away in this uh, mixed-gender feminist movement, and they have women serving as elders. In fact, a sister in Christ, she said in Mission Magazine that Paul's teaching in the New Testament in reference to the role of women in the church was because he was unable to immediately incorporate the full teaching of Jesus into his life. Brethren, what Paul was writing was by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what he said here is the masculine word, an elder must be a man. All right? A second thing that we learned from this very short description is, not only must he be a man, he must be a married man. And so I remember years ago I was working with a congregation and the elders suggested that the congregation put people's names forward to be an elder. 
And we got the list, and several of the people who were on the list were not even married. And I thought, that's why we've got to do some teaching about this. A man who is not married cannot serve as an elder. Number one, he has to be a man. Number two, he has to be married. Notice it doesn't say if he's married, he must be the husband of only one wife. It says he must be the husband of one wife. And a man who's not married cannot be the husband of one wife. And so he must be a man, he must be married, and he must be married to only one woman. What that means is he cannot be a polygamist, he cannot be an adulterer, and we need to be careful here. Paul is not teaching that um, if a man has entered into a second marriage scripturally, let's say that a man has been married and his wife cheats on him, and he puts her away scripturally, he is no longer married to her. And he marries again with the Lord's approval. He is the husband of one wife. That previous marriage does not make him unqualified. Sometimes I have known people that would say, if a man was married and his wife died and he married again, they would say he doesn't qualify because they say he's the husband of two wives. No, he's not. When his first wife died, that dissolved the marriage. In fact, if he's the husband of two wives, that second wife, he's living in adultery. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Death dissolves the marriage, and if he gets married again, once again, he meets this qualification. This really carries with it the idea of something that was very popular in the first century, and that was polygamy. An elder cannot be a polygamist. He must be a man. He must be a married man and he must be the husband of one wife. Sometimes I hear a question that comes up, and that is, if a man is serving as an elder and his wife dies, can he continue to serve as an elder? I have heard brethren divided on this. Some have said, well, he had a wife at the time that he was installed. I do not believe that is accurate because this is written in the present tense, in the Greek and the English. He is, literally it says, he must currently be the husband of one wife. If his wife dies, he is not currently the husband of one wife. If he lost the other qualifications, if it got to the point that um, he no longer had a good reputation, we wouldn't say, well, he used to have a good reputation. He just doesn't presently. If a man ceases to have the qualifications that are listed, then he ceases to be qualified to be an elder. And the Bible says, presently, he must presently be the husband of one wife. And we can take that for what it says. If we want to argue about it, I don't really know how you can because he is not presently the husband of one wife. Okay, uh, we'll stop right there, right in the middle of the second one, and we will pick up next week.